We're going to jump into the Word of God this morning in the book of Mark. We've been in this in this book for the past, oh, since since uh, J- beginning of January, and um, we are in chapter 12 now, and we're moving through it so quickly. Um, over the past four years, we have gone through all four Gospels. This is the last one. Uh, it, we did the book of Luke first, and then we went to the book of John, and then we went through the book of Matthew last year, and this year we're doing the book of Mark, and what we've been doing is going from the very beginning till the end, and, and really going all the way through and landing on Easter Sunday as kind of this conclusion of this celebration of the amazing story of Jesus Christ. So if you've been a part of this church for the past four years, you know the life of Jesus. If you've been here, you've experienced that, you've heard that, you've understood what, what he did while he was on this earth, you've learned from four different perspectives who he is. You've learned about his character and his nature, and you should have a pretty good understanding of who this cornerstone of our faith uh, really is and what he represents and what he's all about. And today is such an important part of Jesus' ministry and his word and what he teaches. It's the foundational principle for what we believe as Christians. And Jesus describes what, what he's about to um, share as the most important or is the greatest commandment. It's the greatest commandment in all of Scripture. How many would say that's probably something I should know about, right? Um, this, is, uh, this is an incredible story, and so it's in the book of Mark, chapter 12. We're going to pick it up in verse 28, and it starts with this scribe coming up to Jesus. And a scribe is not just just like a person who, who writes notes down. The scribes were, were people who dedicated their life to copying the scriptures. This was a sacred task. This was something that was incredibly important. They didn't have a printing press. They didn't have computers back then. They didn't have a way to mass produce these things. And so the only way that, that the word of God could be communicated to other people was by people handwriting the scriptures. And so these people valued that word so much, and they thought of it as such an important and critical job. They dedicated their lives to this ministry, because if they didn't get it right, then the next people who would be handed that text wouldn't have an accurate representation of the Word of God. And so these scribes weren't just just note-takers. They weren't just people that, that had the ability to copy letters down, but they were theologians. They studied the scriptures. They knew the scriptures. They valued the scriptures. They dedicated their life to the word of God. And in, in scripture, there are 613 different laws or commandments. As uh, in the scriptures, there are 248 shoulds and 365 should nots, Okay. Um, one for every day of the year, right? You can pick a different one. There's one thing that I shouldn't do today. Uh, if you want to do that, I'm sure there's somebody has compiled those somewhere. But there, there are these um, laws that, that God has given to his people. And so this scribe comes up to Jesus and he says, Hey, Jesus, out of the 613 laws, which is the most important? And he had something in mind, and you'll see that in just a second. But Let's read in verse 28. We're going to read the first three verses, and then we'll read the rest of the story a little bit later. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them all well, Jesus was answering other questions, he asked Jesus, I got one that'll stump you, (laughs) which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, 
the most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other greater commandment than these. Can we just pray this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this truth. We thank you that you have called us to love. And you've called us by love. We know that the only reason that we can love you is because you loved us first. So Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for representing what love should look like. Lord, help us to understand what it means to love you in return. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we're to love God and to love our neighbor, right? That's the basic premise of these two commandments that Jesus says these are the most important things in all of Scripture. They sum up everything else. And we have tendencies for how we demonstrate our love for someone else, usually based on our own personality, right? Um, like, we love people in the way that we like to be loved. That's naturally what we do. Has anybody read uh, the book, the, the Five Love Languages, before? Right? It's a really insightful, really interesting book, but it talks about how different people receive and give or express their love and how often our tendency is to express love in the way that we like to receive love when in reality we probably should love others like they would like to receive love, right? Like they like to show love. Um, well, in the same way, um, we tend to worship God in specific ways that, that make sense to us, that suit our personality, and um, we tend to express our worship in those ways that, that we love God and in the ways that fit our personality, and then we also tend to look down on other people who express their worship differently than we do, right? Um, we see them as... Uh, different than us, and, and, and we see that as, as maybe something that uh, doesn't fit the way that we see God or the way that we want to express our worship to God. But Jesus gives some clear definitions as to how we are to worship God, as to how we are to express our love to God. And the first thing he says is, with all your heart. And, and I want to emphasize the fact that the heart is not the organ in your body that just pumps blood, Right? Somebody uh, once asked a pastor about his friend who had asked Jesus into his heart. That's the picture of salvation that the book of Revelation gives us. But he got a heart transplant from a Christian. And so he asked him, now is my friend saved? Because now he has a Christian heart inside of him. <laughs> of course, the answer to that is no. What Jesus is talking about here isn't the organ inside our body that's pumping blood to the different parts and the different cells of our body. It's the seat of our emotions. Right? It's the, the way that we feel, the way that um, we you know, express that, that love. Um, in every culture, the heart isn't always the seat of the emotions. In fact, in some cultures, in some even Middle Eastern cultures, the seat of the emotions is actually the bowels. So you would say, my bowels yearn for you, right? You know, stuff like that. That would really, I mean, that would, that would completely destroy all our song lyrics, right? <laughs> 
Like you think about all the love songs about the heart and about the way the heart feels and you substitute that for bowels. It just, uh, first of all, it doesn't rhyme anymore. <laughs> Second of all, that's gross, right? But it's, it's really about the seat of our emotions. You know, God designed humanity to have emotions, to feel things. Um, if he wanted us to stifle our feelings and suppress them and push them down inside, he wouldn't have given them to us in the first place. Right? So it is not wrong to be expressive in the way that you feel about God. In fact, we at this church tend to encourage expressive worship. Why? Because it's biblical. Um, maybe when you got here for the first time, you came here, maybe you're here for the first time today and you're like, wow, these people are kind of loud and, and crazy and they're like raising their hands. Expressive worship is a biblical principle. In fact, the Bible tells us to bow down. The Bible tells us to lift our hands. It tells us to shout for joy. It even tells us to dance, right? These are all instructions that the Bible gives us because God wants us to be expressive in our worship because something inside of us, the way that we feel about God, should come out in our worship as well. And it's not that I'm trying to disrespect other traditions. I grew up in a Lutheran church. I learned to love Jesus. I was taught the word of God. It was a great place. But for the most part, the expression of worship was pretty muted. Uh, and that was just part of the, the culture of that church. And um, I'm so glad that I'm at a church today where we're not, we're not stifling our expression of worship. We want this to be a place where people can freely express the joy that God has put in their heart. Now, Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians that within expressive worship, there needs to be order, right? So it's not like, it's not just a free-for-all. We don't just come here and scream and make a bunch of noise. In fact, he even says in that, in that chapter that you don't want people coming into your service and thinking y'all are crazy, all right? So there's got to be structure and order to it as well. But he, he tells us in 1 Thessalonians not to quench the Holy Spirit either, right? So we need to be um, using our emotions to glorify God. God wants us to worship with our heart, but he also wants us to worship with our soul. Now, the soul is the part of you that encompasses actually, it's your mind, it's your will, and it's your emotions. All right, so the soul is all of those things, but since Jesus specifically addresses our mind, which we'll get to in just a second, and our emotions, which is our heart, he's also wanting our will. It's our will. It's the, the part of us um, that says yes to God. It's the part of us that makes a commitment to him. It's our faithfulness to God. We know that God is faithful to us, but God's call to us is to be faithful to him as well. When you choose to follow Jesus, you're making a promise. And you renew that promise. It's a decision that you have to make every single day of your life. When you wake up in the morning, you have to decide that day, am I going to follow Jesus or am I going to reject him? Now, it doesn't mean that if you choose to reject God, that's the correct decision, but you have that choice every single day. It's an option that's available to you. And so God wants not only your emotion, but he wants your commitment too, right? Those things go hand in hand. Imagine if you uh, were in a relationship and you were getting married to someone and you made, you got ready to say your vows at the altar and you're like, listen, I promise to love you with all my heart. 
but I can't promise that forever. Right? That would be a pretty depressing wedding vow. Right? God wants both your heart, your passion, your energy, your enthusiasm, and he wants your commitment too. Okay, let's keep going. It says, with all your mind, with all your intellect, would be another way of saying this. Now, it's important to note that this is not in Deuteronomy 6. Jesus is quoting this law from Deuteronomy 6, and it does not say mind in that original passage. But two things about this. First of all, he's Jesus. So when he speaks, he's literally speaking the word of God. So if he wants to add something to it, he can absolutely editorialize. However, I don't believe that's what he's doing right here. Because the original, the original commandment says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. Your soul would have included your mind, okay? So Jesus is extrapolating that. He's emphasizing that, but he's not necessarily adding to what was originally in the commandment. Um, C.S. Lewis has this incredible quote from the book, Mere Christianity, if you've ever read it before. It's an awesome book. Uh, but he says this, God is no fonder of intellectual slackers than of any other slackers. If you're thinking of becoming a Christian, I warn you that you're embarking on something which is going to take the whole of you, brains and all. Isn't that good? Right? What does it mean to love God with our mind? Well, using your mind to learn about who God is is a good place to start. The scripture is filled with information as well as teaching and instruction, right? There's a lot of information in there that's valuable. It teaches us about who God is. It teaches us about what following him looks like. And so Bible study is an engagement of the mind in an act of love towards God. When you study the word of God, when you look at it, when you read it, when you dig deep down into it, when you begin to know what it means and you begin to understand the context in which it was written, that's honoring to God. That's an expression of your love for him. And even things like discussion and sometimes even debate can be an expression of love to God and an engagement of the mind. Now, that can be taken to an extreme and to an unhealthy place, too. And I'm not, not saying that we should turn this into a debate hall this morning and everybody hang around and let's argue about politics for a couple hours after church. No, that's not the point that I'm making. But we do want to think critically. We do want to use our mind. We do want to engage that thought process. You know, this is really important right now in this time in, in our nation's history, in everything that's going on right now, there are a lot of things that are intellectually crazy happening in our world right now. And we need common sense as believers, right? We need godly people who can use reason because you can't just go up to somebody who's not a believer in Christ and say, well, this is what the word of God says. They're like, I don't care what, what the Bible says, right? So you have to be able to engage your mind. You have to be able to speak from a rational perspective, to use your brain, to use common sense. And, and ultimately, we, God's principles are intellectually sound. We don't have to worry that they're not going to make sense to the world around us. They make sense. They're good, common sense principles. It's just that we have to be willing to engage in those conversations as well. The last one is with all your strength. Um, this is... 
your physical ability. This is things like acts of service. It's things that you're able to do uh, for God. These, these four things, these are God's love languages, right? This is what he requests us to do in order to express our love for him. It's not enough to just love God in your head and in your heart. There has to be an expression of that love as well. I was watching a video on Instagram the other day, and uh, there's a guy talking about uh, the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden. And he was answering the question of why maybe God put that tree in the garden in the first place. Have you ever wondered that before? Like this is the tree that Adam and Eve ate from that God had told them not to eat from, right? It was the temptation. It was the thing that he put in the garden. The one thing that he said that they couldn't touch and um, it was the only sin that they could commit at that time, right? They had one job, okay? God said, don't touch the tree. But why did he put that tree in the garden in the first place? Have you ever thought about that before? It's a really interesting thing to think about. And he gave this illustration of two people that say they love the poor. And one of them works in a homeless ministry, and he serves in, in food, food and shelters, and um, he, he takes care of homeless people, and, and he works with them to help them find jobs, and, and he cares for people who are poor, and he helps people in need, and the other person does nothing. Now, the question is, which one really loves homeless people? Well, you can't scientifically prove that the one who does nothing doesn't care about poor people, but the one who sacrificed something, who gave something up, showed, who demonstrated that his compassion was real. Well, in the same way, love for God required Adam and Eve to have to sacrifice something to demonstrate that love. So the right to eat from the tree of the Garden of Eden uh, was there, and they had that right, and they could choose to do it, but the sacrifice was saying, no, I'm not going to do that because of my love for God. It was an opportunity to disobey. And until that opportunity was presented to them, their love for God couldn't really be evaluated. In the same way, every single day, we wake up with far more temptations Right? Adam and Eve opened that doorway, and now we have a lot more options for sin in our life. Right? Every single day, we're tempted with things that will lead us down the path of destruction, that will lead us in a negative way. We're tempted with, with money or with power or with sex or anything that the enemy chooses to tempt us with. And rejecting those things and choosing God over those things demonstrates our love for us. That takes strength. That takes fortitude. So it's not only doing the right thing, but it's also resisting the wrong thing. And strength is required in that process. You know, um, I always find it interesting. If you look at scripture uh, and you learn what it means to be saved, to place your faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible actually calls us to do two different things. It says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. And we talk a lot about the heart, but there's also a call to say it, to speak it out, to confess it with our mouth as well. It requires a physical act of obedience along with the internal change. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be doing a baptism service, 
and I'm super excited about this. We do it on Palm Sunday. This will be uh, the second year in a row that we've done this. Um, and I want to encourage you, if you've never been baptized before, baptism is a physical response to what Christ has done inside our heart. We don't believe that, that the act of being baptized in water is the actual act that saves us, but rather it's an expression that Jesus calls us to, a physical expression of what Jesus has done for us inside our hearts. It's so important. It's so amazing. Um, there's so much truth and, and, and relevance in that, in that it teaches us that, and it gives us an opportunity to share that faith with our church family. It gives us an opportunity to invite people who are, are maybe not a part of a church to come and, and be present, and um, you get a chance to share your faith with somebody else. And so if you have not been baptized in water, we'd encourage you to sign up to do that. And um, there's a lot more information. If you go back to the information desk, there are some sheets that, that will explain a little bit more about baptism and will teach you a little bit about baptism. If, you, if you're interested in that, you talk to one of us and, and uh, we're happy to get you signed up for that. It's going to be a great day. It's going to be a celebration. We already have a couple people that are committed to doing it. But baptism is that physical expression of the inward change inside of us. Now, there's one more thing that God calls us to, and you, you're looking at the Bible right now, and you're like, no, we just went through all four of them, right? Heart, soul, mind, strength. You know, there's one that's repeated in all four of those. It's with your all. With your all. If you get it, loving God isn't, isn't about choosing one of those lanes, right? I'm going to love God with my whole heart. I'm going to be passionate. I'm not going to be committed. I'm not going to... I'm not going to, you know, be intellectual. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do anything to, to serve the Lord physically. I'm not, not going to bother with that. I'm just going to focus on my lane because that's, that's what God's put inside of me. No, 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 no. You don't get to do that, right? The command is for all of them. So whether you naturally express in a certain way more easily than the other, that doesn't matter. You get to participate in everything because God is worthy of it all, right? We sang that this morning. Some of you are like, we sang that over and over and over again. That's because it's true, right? Right? It, he's worthy of our all. And God wants us to express our love for him in all of these ways. Uh, I, I gave this picture already, but I mean, like, if you think of that in a, in a marriage relationship, like, you have to give in all of these areas to have a healthy marriage. You can't just hold back part of that from your spouse in the same way we can't have a healthy relationship with God if we're holding back in certain areas. God is saying he wants our emotion, he wants our will, he wants our intellect, and he wants our effort. He wants our all. And then Jesus tags on the second part. And, and I want to be clear about this. When, when he says... The this, this second commandment here, he's not saying this is the second most important commandment. He's saying, no, these two together are the greatest commandment. In fact, in the book of Matthew, he makes that abundantly clear. He says, the second is like the first. The second is like the first. And that's to love your neighbor as yourself. This is kind of the the golden rule principle, right? You've heard that before. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. 
it's, it's from that idea, it's from that principle that we are to love our neighbor as well. And, and what scripture um, teaches us in all 613 laws, every single one of them fits at least under one of these two categories. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. If you do those two things perfectly, you never have to worry about anything. Now, we get that messed up a lot, right? <laughs> a lot. In fact, sometimes it's, the, it's just out of ignorance. Sometimes it's not understanding what it means to demonstrate our love to God or to love others as well. Sometimes it's out of disobedience, right? But God's call for us is to love him with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, with all our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Those two things are inseparable. You can't do one without the other. You can't love God and not care about people because God's heart is for people. And so if we love God and we have his heart, then we love our neighbor as ourselves. And the only way that you can love other people it's not by your own ability, right? It's only through the grace of God. Because people are dumb. I mean, look around, like left and right. There's some difficult people to love in this room. Right? Somebody, don't raise your hand. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> oh. You know what? You need God's grace to learn to love others. Now, do you want to hear the rest of the story? Verse 32. And the scribe said to him, You're right, teacher. Jesus is like, thank you. I know I'm the son of God. <laughs> he didn't say that. You have truly said that he is one, that there's none other beside him, and to love him with all your heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength. And to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And Jesus saw that he answered wisely. And here's what he said to him. Get this. You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any questions. I love that. Like that answer was so good. He was just, they were just like, oh, I'm done. I'm done trying to stump him. Now, I want to go back to that statement. You are not far from the kingdom of God. Because that leaves us with the question, what is he missing? If he's not far from the kingdom of God, he understands to love the Lord your God with all your heart, to love your neighbor as yourself. And we just learned that's the greatest command. That should be enough, right? That sums up all the law. In those two statements, what's he missing? Can I tell you what it is? It's a savior. It's a sacrifice. It's the blood of Jesus. See, Jesus was on his way to the cross. And throughout the history of, of the Old Testament, of, of the people of Israel and their relationship with God, it was always this back and forth and uh, moments of righteousness and moments of separation from God, but ultimately um, scripture teaches us that the sacrifices that were 
offered were a covering for their sins so that they could be in the presence of God. But it didn't restore them, it didn't heal them, it didn't make them right before God. It was only through the perfect sacrifice. In fact, the scribe he mentioned, this commandment is, is greater than all the sacrifices because that's God's heart, because that's who he is. But there's still something that's preventing him from being saved. And it was Jesus' blood on the cross that ultimately led to that forgiveness of sins. Now, we don't hear the rest of the story of this scribe's life. We don't hear if he ever got over the line, if he ever entered into the kingdom of God. We just know that he was close. I desperately want to know, right? I desperately want to know. I hope he did. I hope after Jesus offered his life on the cross, that things fell into the place for him and he understood and he began to believe and he placed his faith in Jesus Christ. You see, John wrote this book, 1 John, and in it he said how we can love God. He told us that we love God because he first loved us. It starts with God's act of love toward us, and that's where our ability to love God in return comes from. It was his sacrifice, his life, his blood shed on the cross that now we can enter into relationship with God. And now we can experience his perfect love for us and that we can love him in return. It's an incredible gift. I so hope that this man discovered that incredible gift. I so hope that he learned what it means to surrender his heart and life to Jesus Christ. Now you can do that. It's simple. It says that if we confess with our mouth, believe in our heart that Jesus rose from the dead, that we will be saved. As we place our faith in Jesus, he ultimately brings us into his family. He adopts us as his children. We're welcomed into the Father's household. We're called sons and daughters of God. I ask that we just bow our head in this moment. And I want to lead us in a prayer this morning. Maybe you've never done that before. Maybe you never said, hey, I, I want to place my faith in Jesus. I want to trust in him for my salvation. I want to give you the opportunity to, to say that today, to make that confession out loud. And if you confess that with your mouth and you believe that with your heart, and you repent of your sins and you choose to follow Jesus, scripture is clear that you can be saved. That's the hope that Jesus was offering. 
this man was so close to in that moment. Don't live your life on the doorstep of what could be an incredible journey with God. So I'm going to ask that we as a room this morning would just repeat this prayer out loud. Maybe you're saying it for the very first time. Maybe you've wandered away from faith and, and you, today you're making a decision to come back to Jesus. Would you just repeat after me? Jesus, I need you. I need your forgiveness. I admit that I'm a sinner and I need your grace. So today, I repent of my sin and I choose to follow you. I give you my life. I give you my heart. Come into my heart and make me a new creation in Christ Jesus. Amen. Scripture tells us that when one person makes that decision, it's all of heaven celebrates and rejoices. And so I just want to take a second and thank the Lord for that. Can we just stand together in this place as we close this morning in celebration for what God is doing? Heavenly Father, we thank you that your grace is offered to us. Lord, we thank you that, that you've called us from darkness into light. We thank you that each day is an opportunity to choose you, to love you, to serve you. And Lord, we thank you that it's because of your love for us that we can love you in return. So Lord, we offer this morning our hearts, our minds, our soul, our strength as a sacrifice of love to you. Lord, take every area of our life and give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.